The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Where the shakeups will come in this week in November, a couple of rivalry games and perhaps a proving ground or two. This is the College Game Day podcast for Friday, November 11th. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Bill Connolly here once again to make only wrong predictions. All of us are well <laughs> under 500 for the season, all embarrassed by our overanalyzation of making picks against the spread. Uh, the walls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pete, the one thing I did notice, though, is that you and I spent a lot of time on Wednesday talking about the playoff rankings and potential implications. Our good friend Bill Connolly, who I, I love his work, and I always read his pieces on ESPN.com with great interest. And I started, you know, in the spirit of conspiracy theories, I sort of started thinking, I started thinking, wait a minute, Bill Connolly, initials BC, his formula, SP plus S, BCS, BCS Bill wants to go away from the selection committee (laughs) and human judgment and put our future back in the hands of computers. So Bill Connolly, it's my duty to put you on the spot here. Were you a big proponent of the BCS when the BCS was here and we actually did this and used a formula to pick who competed for champions? Yeah, I mean, I always said the BCS's biggest problem was it could only fit two teams on the field. Everybody hated it because there were more than two deserving teams half the time and they only picked two of them. And the formula, I always it always drove me crazy because every time the formula kind of disagreed with conventional wisdom, they changed the formula. Which, which is a problem. And it, 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 we tried to make the formula more like humans, basically. And, and that's never the, the way to go about it. But I did find it kind of, I, I was mad. I put out a piece on Tuesday morning, um, you know, basically I was, I was jokingly calling it the formula with um, kind of using SP plus and resume ratings and all this other stuff, poll averages, got to come up with a new BCS formula. And I called it the formula. Um, and it actually agreed like the top nine with the, C, the CFP rankings that night. But it was right there. BCS was right there. Bill Connolly's system was right there to be used for this uh, formula. That's and, disappointing. And I, just, I whiffed. Like three different people on Twitter were like, hey, you should have called it this. Like, I that's know. A, Where were you a, yesterday? That's a great idea. And I don't want to go down the BCS rabbit hole, but I, I read that you that you wrote that in the column, and it's something that I've felt and said for years. The BCS wasn't nearly as bad as everyone thought. But it undermined its own credibility over the years yep. by doing exactly what you said, because it, that was that was a tacit admission that, well, this formula is not good enough. And yeah, we got it wrong, really what they should have we'll done is formula, said, this yeah. is the best formula we can possibly do. And that's what it said. And, you know, but anyway, yep. so. remember the Harris poll? <laughs> I do. I do remember the Harris poll. Harris poll is a little dicey. Um, so I look forward to the sequel of. Life to the BCS or resurrection of the BCS, That's right. the, the Bill Connolly system story 
playing off the uh, famous death of the BCS from probably 15 years ago. So yeah, it was, I'm sure it that was would be a bestseller amongst the Connolly oh, family. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was interesting to see like the top nine, they got it right. I thought maybe they'd still have Tennessee over TCU. I thought they'd have LSU a little higher than I felt they should have been since LSU still has two losses. Um, but the, the top nine matched up with the formula. Really the only teams they disagree Agreed on. They still like Clemson way more than like math or my eyeballs do um, mm-hmm. in, in putting them 10th there. And then they therefore also like Notre Dame more now. Um, but it was pretty, it, it was a, this was a good performance, I thought, by the committee. And I can kind of back that up with math. Yeah. Do you think that once we expand the playoff to 12 teams, that these formulas, I mean, by, by definition, half the field's going to be set by just winning conference championships. Yeah. Will the formulas become more or less uh, less important in terms of factors on which they will rely to rank them once they once they get into into that system? Yeah, it'll be really interesting because, I mean, you can say that the stakes are lower now when you're picking 12 teams as opposed to four, but picking four has been pretty easy so far. I mean, obviously there have been some disagreements. There were disagreements in 14 I, I threw a fit about Cincinnati got, not getting taken more seriously in 2020 because we had just seen what Notre Dame could do against other playoff teams <clears> with their healthy quarterbacks. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, I didn't really disagree with any of the 32 teams they picked so far. You go down to 12, though, and you're, and you're determining um, some kind of blurry resumes. You're determining who gets buys. You're determining who gets home field. You're determining a lot more things than just here are the four teams. And that's that, that does offer the possibility for more disagreement or more weird picks or whatever. And I'm kind of, I'm curious how that plays out. I I don't think, and this is just my sense of it. And a lot of this will determine, be determined by what the appetite is among the leadership structure in college football for the continuation of bowl games and where they want those to rank, Mm. meaning the, the broader picture of bowl games. But I think one of the things that's going to happen is that the four teams at the top will be very happy to get a bye and very unhappy that they don't have <laughs> right. a home game on campus. And because of that, I, I don't know that it will be that long before it goes to 16 to make sure that the teams at the top all at least get one of those home playoff games. I know the calendar's a challenge and all of that kind of thing, but that that's going to be a little irritating. I think for <laughs> some some of the programs that you win your conference, you get a bye. Yeah. That's great. We love that. And then we have to go and travel to three straight neutral sites while, you know, somebody got a home game. So, and all of the, all of the energy that will be, that will go along with something like that. Yeah. I'm not going to complain if we go to 16, just because it doesn't change the number of rounds or anything like that. And you know, those home atmospheres are the the most fun part to me. Like looking Mm -hmm. at possibilities, if we had a 12 teamer this year, things like Ole Miss playing at Michigan is on the table. That would just be neat things to just Mm -hmm. haven't happened in college football before. Uh, But you know, TCU playing Oregon in a, on a neutral site or something has happened plenty of times. So that is just from a novelty standpoint, the home game is definitely the most interesting part here. It's like a billion dollar entertainment business, right? And <laughs> I don't think people are sick of the playoff or people who stop watching the playoff or anything like that. And I do think we've shaken out of the predictability doldrums a little bit this year, especially with Alabama and Clemson on the outside looking in, which is just generally good for like a healthy, vibrant coast to coast sport. But like, I think that the thing I'm most excited about when we go to 12 and I hope 
the Rose Bowl doesn't get in the way and we actually go in uh, 2024 instead of 2026. But there's still some still some golf left to play here the next few weeks between <laughs> the mighty commissioners um, to, uh, to to get that home um, and not three putt, which it, it, it's a group that's three putted a lot. Um, is the, just the, all the new and the, the different and the, the things to be excited about. Like, the, like Ole Miss going to Michigan is a wonderful example of that. But I just think every year they'll just be this completely dynamic, unexpected, cool, like Camp Randall hosting a December playoff game amid, you know, yeah. crazed snow like that. You know, if Wisconsin is sort of and they've kind of been when you when you project it back a, a pretty sneaky, consistent yeah. top 12 ish team every year. There's just going to be some sort of new. And look, we're not going to have uh, UMBC and Florida Gulf Coast like those types <laughs> of outliers come in but we are what we are going to have which i think is going to make this this playoff great is just places that aren't conventional powers getting their moments like wake forest maybe right. you know last year for example I, I i don't have the numbers in front of me but like that type of a place hosting a playoff game that would be pretty neat say nc state grinds its way up and they've done a really nice job bouncing back this year and they're in the playoff what a moment that would be for that campus so we're you know the the sort of best part of the high end of the sport you just don't get some dot com bowl game and like a cool pullover in a video game system, right? You give you give the campus a moment, you give your students a moment to share. Like I, I think that's a that's a pretty neat part of this. And, and in a real role re- reversal here, while Pete espouses all of the wonderful things that's going to happen, I'll point out that oh yeah, because staying at four, we would never get anything new in the playoff just by the normal cyclical nature of the sport. I mean, who? I mean, there's no way that, oh, I don't know, TCU and Tennessee could be in the playoff this year under a four-team format. We have to expand to make sure, oh, that, that an Oregon team that lost by 46 points, that they couldn't be in a four-team <laughs> playoff. That, that Well, we're going to have to expand, you know? So I'm just saying. I already I'm said I hated it. Christmas the last episode. I mean, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm for it. I'm for the expansion, but I, I I just want to be on record as saying it comes with a cost. And this notion that people got all crazed about that as long as it was four teams, it would forever be Alabama and Clemson was ridiculous. You, It just happened to coincide with the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport and one that you know, is is pretty good and at least, uh, you know, at least challenged that dynasty and kept it from being even greater than it already was, really, with the two championships that, that Clemson was able to win. But yeah, anyway. I think, I think, I, we, I feel like we've maybe overstated a little bit. Like one of the, one of the talking points, especially for expanding to 12, was just that, you know, once, those first rounds, including Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama and whatnot, it really suddenly it changed recruiting and this and the t- players were only wanting to go to those schools and it hurt recruiting. And there's some, you know, like the the, the West Coast is uh, certainly a lot more players started drifting east uh, around that time. So there's probably some value in that. But at the same time, like Georgia had only made one playoff when they and I don't even think they had made that playoff yet when they started completely dominating and recruiting. I, I think we yeah. maybe have overstated a little bit of that. Um, it, it, and a lot of this is just the cycles of we always have dominant programs that, that mm-hmm. you know, Alabama's consistent dominance means the names haven't changed quite as much as we're used to, but we've always had dominant programs and we still will. But I, I don't see this hurting recruiting by any means. Uh, the recruiting thing. I mean, 
who's really beating Ohio State right. and you know in Alabama and Georgia, even under any system. And the the West Coast chapter of it, and after this, I'll get us to the picks. The <laughs> West Coast chapter is more about interest and atmosphere in the stadiums as much as anything. At hires. Um, uh, at hires. You know, just some uninspiring hires out west too. I think well, maybe so, but I mean, who you know, CJ? I keep going back to the CJ Stroud quote. Why would I want to go play in half-empty stadiums when I'm playing in front of a hundred thousand every week? And, and people really, really care in Columbus, Ohio, in a way that there are very few outposts in the West where they where their level of caring even approximates touching the hem of the garment. Of the way they care in Columbus, Ohio, you know. Well, Bryce I mean, Young, Jaden Daniels man. is a great example, yeah. right? Saturday night, you know, yeah, game of the year, top five finish of the year, top five, and they're showing like little league highlights of those two dueling against each other in Southern California. At least, you know, talking about you know, you know when they when they did that. And Bryce Young obviously was committed to uh, to Clay Helton, and quite frankly, he and his family made a great decision to not subject themselves to the inevitable decline there and and, and mm-hmm. go play for the you know, go play for the Bama machine. And, and Jane Daniels was a really highly regarded recruit um, and chose Arizona state um, and, and, and made a great decision for his career to scoot out of there and, you know, mm-hmm. get off that sinking ship to, uh, to, to, to go to LSU. And he's clearly, you know, developed a lot more in his year there than he did his first three years, quite frankly, in, uh, in, in Tempe, but it's the, what's the signal. If you're the best, freshman in high school right now at Bosco or at Matter Day or at Rancho Singa Margarita or one of these, you know, one of these powerhouses that, uh, you know, produce quarterbacks at, at a high clip. Well, boy, that looked pretty fun in Tiger Stadium the other night. Uh, Bryce, you know, like it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy from a recruiting standpoint out West. Yeah. But, you know, the good news is that there is a bit of a resurgence Mm-hmm. Oregon oh, yeah. certainly is always a fun place to play. If Washington can keep it going, that historically has been a, a raucous atmosphere. And, you know, we know we know how things are in L.A. You know, if SC wins, it's going to be really, really attractive to play there. So these things, too, can be cyclical. But I do think it's a hurdle to overcome, even for even for good programs, because the the level of intensity in the SEC at Ohio State, even at Clemson, uh, is a little bit different than than perhaps what you see other places. Many 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 days to to delve into that during the bird's eye view of it, Reese. Uh, next week, perhaps if the if the schedule falls right. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. See, I see UCLA in the two one three. See how it goes, Taylor. Let's make some picks and let's see if we can do it right this time. Fellas. That moo sounds like it's really struggling. By the way, Taylor, I I can mm. I could probably get some of Teddy's toys that that do a better moo. It really it really sounds like a wounded duck. I, I know I can never <laughs> hear it. It always sounds like we we it's nothing happened. You know, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to ruin. You know, there's technical issues involved with the Zoom call. Uh, there's a button I could push that could make it sound better. Maybe we can try and tweak that for next week. Or Pete, if you want to take your phone and record a little moo sound from one of Teddy's. Uh, toys. We could throw that in there as well. That would be very. Easy. We have we have a lot of things that moo around the Thamel household right now. So. <laughs> Love that, including me to make him laugh. But we, we're not going to do that. Ooh, how about I sing happy birthday to you next week and you moo on the podcast? 
<laughs> that would that would be a birthday gift for all of us, Pete. If you would moo on the I do on a mean moo. If I'm gonna moo, I'm gonna have Teddy on my lap, and he's gonna okay. smile at my moo because I'm only <laughs> mooing for baby smiles, man. I all ain't right, for you, you, you chuckleheads. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, again, dear listener, this is the race for the ribeye. The stakes are the stakes. And uh, last week, everyone went three and four. Uh, but everyone nailed their locks, which was a first for the season. So, so reasons to celebrate there. And we won't divulge the overall records because those aren't really important. But Bill, we'll call him points, points here. Bill's got 41 points, Reese 39, Pete 38. So, you know, a lot to play for here uh, in the coming weeks. We'll get to the first game here. The uh, East Carolina Purple Pirates heading to Cincinnati. Cincinnati, a five-point favorite. Cincinnati, and maybe to a certain extent, East Carolina trying to stay or stick around at the top of the conference. And, uh, you know, if, if Tulane were to slip up. So let's go Reese Pete Bill on this one. You know, East Carolina is a tough team to figure uh, sometimes, but they, they're probably playing their best ball of the season. I think they've won their last three. They're trying to go uh, for four straight. But, you know, really they haven't they, – they pushed Cincinnati in Greenville last year, but they haven't had much success against the Bearcats. I think they've uh, I think they've lost 10 of 11. Cincinnati's won like, I think, 31 in a row at home, something like that. So that's a five-point spread for the Bearcats. It's a Friday night game. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this has really been – a season dominated by home teams. So I'm going to say Friday night, Nippert, five points. I'll take the Bearcats and lay the five. I've been impressed with East Carolina this year in, uh, you know, in, in, in a lot of different, in a lot of different ways. They, they had that NC state team to open the season, right? Um, they, they lost a heartbreaker to, uh, to, to, to Navy in, uh, in double overtime or early in the year. They've, you know, when they've needed to be authoritative, they've been authoritative with the, you know, with the stinker at Tulane in New Orleans, the the only exception. Um, the one thing about Cincinnati this year is that they have lived on the edge. Um, they won at Tulsa by 10. They only beat South Florida by four. They beat SMU by two. Um, Cincinnati can win this game, but having conviction that they're going to win it by more than five is uh, is is difficult. So I'm going to take the Pirates and the points, and uh, hope we get a little AAC classic at the nip. So the big number I look at in a given week, my SP Plus ratings scream Cincinnati in this game. Cincinnati by 11. So I'm going to pick them just out of faith there because SP Plus has done a better job of picking games than I have this year. But it is noteworthy that basically every trend points to East Carolina right now. Um, Cincinnati has covered like one-sixth of the time this year. They they are underachieving. They're underachieving SP Plus projections for that matter. And, and meanwhile, like you said, um, you know, two weeks ago or two games ago, I guess, ECU destroying UCF. That was a, you know, they, they produce those results sometimes, but that was their best result in a while. Um, beating BYU, you know, we're following that up by going out West and beating BYU was impressive. They're just, they're, they're a good team. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm picking Cincinnati, so I don't have to think very hard, but trends point to East Carolina in this game. It's just, you know, five points might not be enough still. Should we throw the idea by the listeners that next season when we do this, and I hope we do this again next season because it's fun, we have SP Plus as its own. We, we just make a name for him, like Sammy Bag of Donuts, Sean, and, uh, Sean and, and, and we put him on the scorecard. I, at least I wouldn't have to buy him a steak because it's a fake person. Um, <laughs> That's true. 
I would, I think we should do that because it would only just remind Bill that he's created this formula that's brought him fame and wealth. And he's still like too smart to use it all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know how my, every time I say, well, I'm going against my numbers on this one. I, I, I just assume that those picks are like hitting at 10% or so it's, it's not, I, I can't imagine it's great. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is good! This might be my favorite game of the week here because the Big Ten West is in complete chaos. Purdue is heading to Illinois. Illinois, six and a half point favorite. Illinois' Big Ten West lead is down to one point. A whole bunch of three and three teams, including Purdue. Let's go Pete Bill Reese on this one. So I just think Purdue's falling apart. Yeah. Like there, there's just no other, there's just no other way to say it. Like to have faith and conviction in Purdue with the, with the way they've played recently, just makes me a little bit, uh, I, look, I don't think Illinois is some, is, is some, you know, rollicking juggernaut right now, but, but to me, my, my faith in Purdue has been, uh, has been shaken. So I'm going to, I'm going to take Bert in, in just the fact that the way they play and who they are, you know, creates some steadiness and some consistency. Um, and Michigan State was a bad matchup for them. I don't see Purdue that in that same way. I think they can they can set the tone and uh, and, and bring the arm bar. So I'm taking the line. Yeah, I mean Illinois. Last week's game reminded us that when when you're all on one side of the ball, when when you're dominated by one thing or the other, you know, a weak unit can still backfire on you randomly. And and the offense not being able to, they actually, I mean, they moved the ball reasonably well, um, but you know, they failed in the red zone constantly. They still rank 87th in points allowed per drive, as opposed to first in, or excuse me, 87th in points per drive, first in points allowed per drive. They're still extremely one dimensional. But yeah, I mean, I think at this point, um, I mean, Purdue's been, like they underachieved against Nebraska, then they underachieved by more against Wisconsin, and then they fell apart against Iowa. It's really hard to have any faith uh, in that regard. This is a huge game because you know Illinois still ha- holds a bunch of important tiebreakers, and they can probably afford to lose to to Michigan. They can't afford to lose to Purdue or Northwestern though. They gotta they gotta see this one through if they want to actually win the Big Ten West. Like it's looked like they will for a while. So um, they have a little more to play for here, and uh, they've just not been falling apart the way Purdue has. So I'm going Illinois. I agree with both of you. I'm going with Illinois too. That was uh, not a not a good performance by them. But the last time we saw Purdue, uh, weren't weren't they getting weren't they getting run all over by Iowa, uh, yeah. Iowa who has run over no one all year. 
Now you bring in the nation's leading rusher again. I think Chase Brown has moved back to the top of those. No, I take it back. Still Dwayne McBride, a leader among power five rushers, almost 150 yards a game. Probably a little frustrated by by what happened last week. Uh, Bill, you mentioned the tiebreakers. They haven't lost a game against a division opponent yet. Still have the big game with Michigan coming next week. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Illinois also, and I will take them to to cover the spread against a, a Purdue team that is that is fading quickly. It is good. The Tide headed to Oxford as a 12 point favorite. Let's go, Bill Reese Pete. It's been funny this week on Twitter. It's the same thing that happened in 2019. Um, you know, a lot of people are are kind of grumbling, uh, like interacting with me. Like my my little formula still had Alabama in the top ten. SP plus and FPI still have Alabama in the top four, I believe. Um, like, come on, that's just they're clearly not that good this year. Like, yeah, they're still really good. They. <laughs> Like they, they still for all the offensive glitches, you know, they still scored forty nine uh, against Tennessee. They still scored thirty one with overtime help, obviously last week. Um, their their upside is still ridiculous, and so yeah. Quick quick reminder, they're still quite good. Um, but in this case, it's kind of Ole Miss is good too. They, they've they, you could say they've been kind of trending in the wrong direction a little bit here, especially. Well, I was going to say, especially on offense, but really on both sides of the ball, they, they've shown a lot more glitches. Uh, but coming off a of bye week, um, it just kind of feels like twelve points is a lot to to you know take away from Alabama here. I, I think you know SP Plus says something more like Bama by seven or eight, I believe. Um, I, I obviously we know what an angry Alabama team can do, but they are glitchy, and Ole Miss is still really, really, really solid. So I'm going to. Foolishly, it feels, but I, I, I do feel like that line's too high. I'm going to miss. It it's not foolish at all, because I don't. <laughs> I haven't seen any indication whatsoever that this Alabama team is angry. They haven't. They they didn't respond the way one would have anticipated after escaping against Texas. They didn't respond uh, the way you would have expected after the loss to Tennessee. Uh, I've said on the Monday podcast that Georgia did what Alabama used to do. When someone showed up to challenge them, uh, they hit them in the face with a shovel. Well, Alabama's lost its shovel. They've lost their edge. They're a good team. You're right, man. And Bryce Young is brilliant. I mean, he's phenomenal. But their offensive line gets a bunch of penalties. They, you know, it might have been your numbers, Bill. I don't remember where I saw these. They're uh, like among the bottom six or seven in the country in blown block rates uh, in the running game. They blow blocks, period. Bryce keeps keeps them from having given up a boatload of sacks. They don't catch the ball. The the receiver (laughs) or the defense doesn't doesn't stop in big plays. Why the world with the way they've played on the road against a good team, which Ole Miss is? Why would you lay two touchdowns with him? No way. Uh, I'll take I'll take Ole Miss, and you know I I almost expect Ole Miss to win the game because when you have when you've played for the stakes that Alabama has forever, and that's gone, man. Sometimes it is really hard to keep it together. And while Saban has hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do that at Alabama, um, you know they did famously respond after that 2010 season and put together a great performance in a bowl game. It was a pretty good Michigan State team and took them apart. 
But there were a couple instances early in his career that when all was lost, that they, you know, the wagons didn't exactly get served. Utah. Uh, Utah, that was early in the tenure. I was talking more about LSU. Um, but, and Utah, Oklahoma are two, uh, are two, Mm -hmm. uh, glaring examples of that. Happened a couple of times when he was the head coach at LSU. It's human nature. And, you know, I, I don't see it. I think if Alabama were going to respond, it already would have. I think this is who they are. They're, they're a talented team. They're capable of beating anybody, but they also, have some significant flaws, and they don't play with this. I'm not saying they don't play hard. This is different. They don't play with that same edge that they've always played with, particularly in big road games. I'll take Ole Miss. Well, I need to come back, and uh, I've been skeptical of Alabama on the road all year. Anyone who's listened to our picks would know that. Um, the The reason why – I think Alabama has a chance to 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 lay the what is it the hobnob boot that you've been talking about, Reese? Because we're in well, Georgia. that's that's only that's only a, a Georgia Larry Munson thing. Hobnob I know, boot. I know. I just like yeah. I think Alabama can win this game authoritatively because Ole Miss is a one trick pony and Saban can stop your trick, right? Ole Miss is the nation's third best uh, rushing offense, and their passing offense is pretty pedestrian. They it, they're a little bit limited, and I feel like. The teams that have threatened Alabama have, have been able to, to to press them. We obviously stood there and watched it in Knoxville for uh, for for four hours that day. So I do think like human nature comes into play here, and I think Alabama responds. I think they're more talented than they played this year, quite frankly, and I think they're right now at a crossroads, and I have a hard time seeing that program turtle. So I think they they bow up on defense, they stop the run. They handle the environment at the at the Grove, and they uh, and they win authoritatively. So I'm going to say roll tide roll with Bryce Young, uh, you know, throwing for four bills. Just I don't know to who. <laughs> it is good. Some more action atop the American UCF headed to undefeated Tulane. Tulane a two point favorite. Let's go, Reese Pete Bill. Yeah, undefeated Tulane in conference play. You know they they do they do have the one non-conference loss. And Willie Fritz is had one of the authored one of the biggest turnarounds of the season. It was certainly on the list for college game day to visit. They've uh, they've employed a lot of uh, diverse offensive weapons that will be hard for UCF to handle. Bill mentioned the uh, East Carolina UCF game uh, a pick or two back, which scares me on this, but man, oh man, first John Rice Plumlee was having a great year since Mikey King has been playing. I mean, they've really uh, moved the ball again, had a big win over Cincinnati. Um, you know, I've gotten in trouble uh, waiting on this Willie Fritz Tulane ride with uh, Michael Pratt and Spears and and all of those offensive guys to, to come to an end. I've gotten in trouble doing that a couple of times, but I, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take UCF on the road. I think uh, I think the Knights will will go in and get the victory. Well, I think Tulane DC Chris Hampton should be in the Broyles one of the Broyles finalists. Tulane's defense was just atrocious last year. It was 102nd in the country in total defense. They gave up 429 yards a game. Uh, this year, I believe they are 16th in the country in. Uh, in total defense, 307 yards a game. That is a uh, 100-yard clip less. Uh, it has been one of the most distinct unit turnarounds that we've seen in the sport this year. And I really feel like 
with where UCF's offense is right now, Tulane can come in in what I hope is a rabid environment at Yulman Stadium. Like this, this is arguably the biggest home game Tulane has played since they've left the Superdome. And quite frankly, they didn't play a lot of big home games in the Superdome. So I, uh, I, I feel like, uh, you know, you know, New Orleans is a pro town, but it shows up for a party and I feel like it could be a good party. So I'm going to pick the green wave to keep rolling. Yeah, this is a tough one just because both teams are, are among the best overachievers this season, uh, both in terms of you know covering the spread and also, you know, in terms of SP plus projections, everything else, they, they both overachieve just about every single week. So I can't really, I always search for trends in that regard. There's no trend here. Um, so I guess I'm just going to go with the fact that I do think UCF still a hair better, um, just a little more reliable on offense. Uh, the defense really has the two lane defense. I love that that Fritz, you know, Hampton, he was the DC last year, and and they were dreadful in every possible way. They fell apart defensively. Uh, Fritz didn't fire him. Fritz didn't panic. He just, you know, they they went about their business a, a, a second year, and everything's come together nicely. Almost nobody gives up fewer big plays. Um, they just do a nice job of containing everything, and that's obviously going to be important against UCF and the number of different big play weapons they have. Um, but I guess, yeah, like for a game this tight, uh, if you're picking, I, I still just think UCF's a little bit better. And, and obviously, you know, you pick them plus two, you're also probably picking them on the money line in that kind of situation too. I, so I guess I'm going UCF go, go wave. I love that story, but I guess UCF's better. More three and three in conference play teams. Uh, Wisconsin, a one and a half point favorite heading to Iowa. Both teams acquitted themselves decently last week, so should be interesting. Let's go, Pete, Bill, Reese. Do you have the over under handy, Tanner? Because I would think it starts with a three. Yeah, you, it was 36 you, as of Monday. 36. <laughs> oh, never change big 10 West. Actually, change. Um, I uh, I don't have a ton of conviction other than that this game is going to be some version of a uh, of a mud fight between sumo wrestlers, and uh, when mud fighting between sumo wrestlers go with the hot team, which is Iowa. I mean, look, they're now the 129th offense in the country, up from 131st. Uh, ever since Pat McAfee called for uh, called for Kirk Ferentz, fire Brian Ferentz, the uh, the Hawkeyes have uh, have caught fire. I say that in jest, but give them credit, right? I mean, everybody bagged on Iowa for about a month, and uh, here they are, just being Iowa again with a, with a with a path to 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 finish strong and maybe end up in that Big Ten title game again. It's not a sure thing, but they are certainly in the thicket of it. They close Wisconsin at Minnesota, who they've had a lot of success against, and then they have obviously Nebraska at home. So, um. I uh, I am not going to go away from the uh, fr- from the hot hand, and they, they look like they found some identity in the run game. It's obviously going to be a lot harder to do against Wisconsin than Purdue. So enjoy your field goals and your punts, and take your Hawkeyes. Yeah, before the Northwestern game two weeks ago, uh, Iowa uh, had ga- had averaged over six yards per play once in twenty two games. Um, six yards. I mean, that's pretty good, but it's certainly you know it's above average, basically. In- in college football, maybe slightly more than that, but they, they just, they never showed any promise whatsoever. They've done it two straight weeks now, uh, 6.1 against Northwestern, 6.5 against Purdue and Purdue's defense had actually well, earlier in the year, at least had been 
pretty solid. So it does feel like they're trending in the right direction. It feels like Wisconsin's trending in the right direction, both with what they did against Purdue, scoring 35 points, and then you know holding Maryland to only 10. Um, both of those are pretty solid accomplishments. So it does the, – the early season still gave Illinois the overall edge in the division, but you do figure if Illinois slips up here, either against Purdue or, or, or uh, uh, Northwestern, this game means a whole heck of a lot. So, um, I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to this a lot more than I was a month ago. It's a, it's still going to be a rock fight, but it might be a little more high-quality rock fight. Um, I guess in the end, it's kind of the same deal. When the line's that close to even, go with the team you think's better. And I think that's Iowa right now because their defense has been a little better than Wisconsin's this year. Um, it is definitely – it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be hard for either one of these teams to run, but I guess I was better because their defense has still been overall uh, quite lovely this season. What are good rocks for a rock fight, Bill? Is there like a, a granite or a slate or a, do you have a, well, well, a it's got some point, a little pointed, you know, that, okay. that causes right. a little bit extra damage. You know, you don't want it too smooth. <laughs> there, there will be nothing smooth uh, <laughs> about yeah. this about this game offensively, but there will two be there will be two really good defenses out there. I've had a lot of fun at Iowa's expense, and I want to you know that was a that was a really strong performance against Purdue. Caleb Johnson, a freshman, going for two hundred yards. Um, I'm gonna I hate to default to this, but I have our ace researcher Marissa Dowling looking at quality road wins across the board and for elite teams. And these two teams aren't elite teams, but it seems to me that uh, the great football philosopher, David Pollock has been on to something this year that the hardest thing to do is win on the road. And I ordinarily would probably go with Wisconsin because they probably have a little bit better quarterback play, even though, you know, I know Mertz has been erratic, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Iowa. I think they've found, I think they've found a little rhythm. I think they'll be able to run it enough. They'll probably kick one more field goal. I'm expecting a uh, an odd score. It'll be something <laughs> like um, I don't know, nine, 19, you know, fifteen or <laughs> or fifteen eleven or you know something like that. There there might be an eleven involved in the score, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Hawkeyes. Hawkeyes getting a point at home. Um, might as might as well. Might as well take any little point you can get a game that is likely to be very low scoring. When Wisconsin wins 31 nothing, I look forward to the group text on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, we should have known. There's Jim Leonard. Hire that man. Oh, yeah, that would absolutely get him hired for sure. Uh, yeah. No, this feels like an 11 or game if ever one existed. It is good! Rivalry game. Kalen DeBoer's Washington Huskies headed to Eugene to face the Oregon Ducks. Oregon, a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Let's go Bill Reese-Pete. I really hope this game's awesome. Awesome Washington-Oregon games are are really, really high up there. And it's in, uh, you know, obviously in Eugene, there's going to be a good atmosphere. It's a huge game for Oregon for many different reasons. Um and, you know, transfer quarterbacks galore here. You, you know, two quarterbacks who really, really weren't all that great the last time we saw them going out West and, and putting up huge numbers. So I, I have high hopes for this game. I also have high hopes that it's going to be closer than 13 and a half. I, I mean, Oregon's clearly the better team here. Um, their, their defense. Well, I can't really say too many good things about either one of their defenses, but Oregon's averages have at least been uh, brought down a little bit by Georgia. Um, so I think, 
you know, maybe there's an advantage there. And and what we saw last week with Washington, the weather wasn't quite as bad as, as we heard it might be in, uh, for Washington, Oregon State on Friday night. And, and Washington still kind of struggled here and there to move the ball, I guess. I guess I trust Oregon to to win, but I'm just going to go on the faith that 13 and a half points is too many. Um, so give me give me a really really fun mid afternoon uh, you uh, game at Autzen there. Hopefully, or Oregon will win, but hopefully it's by like eight to ten instead. I'm really tempted to do the same, Bill, because I, I'm hopeful as well. This history, uh, the history of this rivalry, is much richer than then maybe people who aren't in the Pacific Northwest realize uh, dating back, Bill loves it. Uh, I mean, Pete loves it when I go down memory lane or drop historical things, you know, Nike co-founder uh, Bill Bowerman once returned to punt 87 yards for a touchdown and legend has it that the track coach, Bill Hayward at the time, who I believe the, the track stadium track field still named after him there was running alongside of him, reminding him to keep his knees high in that game in the in the 30s when the Ducks won it. Um, I referenced on Wednesday the Rose Bowl controversy from the 40s and then the, the Kenny Wheaton, the pick. And there's a lot of disdain and uh, outright contempt historically between these two programs. And Washington comes in with a nation's leading passer and Michael Penix but that atmosphere and the way Bo Nix is playing, and I think there's probably a little more oomph on the Oregon defense to allow them to be able to, to get out to a lead. I'm scared to death of the back door on this yeah. one with Oregon being up 17 late game well in hand and Penix throwing a touchdown pass to make the final score, you know, 42-31 instead or something like that. But I, I'm, I think Oregon's the better team and probably by a, a pretty significant margin. So I, I'm going to go with the Ducks to cover. But I have a lot of trepidation about, uh, about that being, being closer than the 13 and a half. Reese went back so far. I thought he was going to start talking about the Oregon Trail when uh, you know <laughs> people would go to the game, but they'd get cholera or dysentery or typhoid. And uh, your, what, your wait, what is it that they would be like? Uh, uh, uh. What um, is it that they say? There's something I, I learned a new phrase. We were up there earlier this season. I, I need someone to remind me of it. It's something about uh, you know the really tough people or something. The adventurers are the ones who stayed, you know, when they went on the Oregon Trail. Some stopped in certain places, but it's only the real uh, adventuresome spirits who kept on going and, and wound up in Oregon. Uh, I've got to get that that phrase from the yes. my good well, friends. Well, the, uh, the Oregon pass defense has shown uh, signs of typhoid at times this year, too. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go bad, simple, non-analytical math on you and say that uh, the Washington pass offense, which is number one in the country, and I don't know what metric we want to use about Oregon's defense and secondary. And I know they have Christian Gonzalez, who I like a lot, but there's there's just a lot of numbers that 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 defense has given up. So I think it's a bit of a shootout here, and I think Washington hangs around, and I think they cover easily. And it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if there were some uh, folks in Phil Knight's suite feeling a little uptight in the fourth quarter in this one. It is good! Next up. Kansas State at Baylor. Baylor, a two and a half point favorite. Let's go Reese Pete Bill. 
I think Baylor's hitting its stride right now. I think Baylor has designs on uh, earning its way back into the Big 12 title game. Uh, That was a really good win for Texas at Kansas State on Saturday night. The one thing that I was very sorry to see about that was the way it ended with an Adrian Martinez fumble because it, you know, he had avoided those types of things for the vast majority of the year. So, you know, I was sorry to see that. Um, I've been really high on Kansas State all season, even into the preseason. But, you know, I think Baylor has is starting to is starting to sense the potential to get back to the Big 12 championship game and maybe even win the thing. They've got TCU coming up after this as a, a big two-game homestand here for the Bears coming down the stretch. So it's only a two-and-a-half-point spread, and while certainly uh, you know Baylor has been vulnerable at times, there have been times they've given up a boatloads of, of yards and points, and Kansas State is capable of doing that to you, whether, you know, no matter which quarterback is is running the show. But I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the Bears and say that say that they win that and, and set up another showdown in the Big Twelve with TCU next week. So it's interesting, uh some of the stuff I read out of Manhattan this week that Will Howard that the, the intention all season was to redshirt Will Howard. He never took any mop up duty early in the year. So they're trying to keep him below the four game threshold in order to do that. Will Howard has played in both the Oklahoma State game and the TCU game. And so I think that Adrian Martinez is going to start for Kansas State. And it, it appears if you kind of read between the lines of Chris Kleiman's comments this week that that they're going to keep Will Howard on ice unless it's very necessary in order to in order to preserve that red shirt. Um, he's obviously listed as a junior, but would have the COVID year, I believe. So he's got some time and quite frankly he's put on performances that make you a believer that he could be the you know really a, a steady signal caller of the future for uh for Kansas State so that said um it's going to be Adrian Martinez's show in uh in in Waco on Saturday night um which which is interesting these are sort of two similar like DNA teams to me um there's you know there's just a, an undercurrent of great coaching Really good toughness that, uh, that that goes along with them, and uh, yeah, I, I just think that that Baylor and give Dave Rand a lot of credit, right? Um, that you know they lose back to back games to Oklahoma State, they lose at West Virginia, and they've just kind of started pounding the rock back and and figuring out a way to go back. They win two two road games, so I, I feel like they they carry that momentum going. They've got an identity going, and and, and they can figure out a way to uh, wriggle out another win here. Yeah, at this point, I can't really figure out Kansas State. Um, you know, this, they've maybe defensively, especially, they've started to underachieve a little bit. But in the middle of this little uh, string of underachievement, they beat Oklahoma State forty-eight nothing, um, which completely blows out any sort of trends that you can possibly find. Um, but while I can't quite figure out what Kansas State's capable of. Three games isn't a big sample, but it sure seems like we know what Baylor's capable of now. Um, they've responded beautifully to that West Virginia loss or the back-to-back, the OSU and West Virginia losses. They seem to have some sort of kind of reassessment period. Their defense uh, or their offense started picking things up even against West Virginia and now their defense is, uh, ha- has been doing a little bit better as well. So I think just from a pure trust standpoint, I think I trust uh, Baylor a little bit more. This is the first opportunity, by the way. I've been going straight with my numbers so far, but I'm actually going to go against them. They have Baylor by 1.7, so a little bit on the Kansas State side. 
Um, that's a really small gap. So I'm going to, I'm going to push it the other way and say Baylor wins by, you know, three, four, five, six, something like that. That seems a little more reliable to me. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Interesting game here, North Carolina, with one loss heading to Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a three and a half point favorite on a two game skid. Hmm, let's go, Pete Bill Reese. I hate picking North Carolina. I think I made that pretty clear uh, throughout the season when we when we've seen them. They have uh, a sort of offense that works in these like starbursts and then naps. They have a defense that is pretty much just napped all season. Um, they are in a, I don't know what the, the numbers say to them, but to me, they are just sort of one of the most like fitful and weird programs uh, to, to come along. Um, I think the over under number would be a lot, look a lot different in this game than it did in uh, our friends in uh, Iowa city. Um, I would think there's going to be a ton of points scored because uh, both these defenses have been, uh, have been fairly, uh, fairly overmatched this season. Wakes is better than last year, but still hasn't been great. It's been such a weird, atypical Wake Forest slide. Uh, that third quarter against Louisville might be one of the weirdest quarters of the entire season. <laughs> um, I believe they had six turnovers in one quarter, which is like logistically really nearly impossible to uh, to do. Is that the first time a team's turned the ball over six times in a quarter, Bill? Do you, did you it ever? was, I'm trying to remember now, there were people were, were talking about, there were tidbits about it. It was either six or seven, and they either... It had been a long time. It had happened before, but it had been quite a long time. Cumberland did against Georgia Tech in that game. Georgia Tech scored 241, (laughs) right? Uh, All all that said, I just think i got to take North Carolina here, even though it's a sucker line. Um, I just just really feel like Drake May is playing as well as anyone in the country. Josh Downs is pushing himself into becoming a first-round pick in the conversation, and I just think... The skill and the speed of Carolina's offense is eventually going to wear down Wake and uh, allow them to win. But that said, that Gene Chizik defense is just so awful, and it's an unconventional scheme that nobody's ever seen. So he clearly hasn't. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I don't feel I. I would if I was ever go- dumb enough to bet my own money on my bad picks. This would be the single last game I would pick this week. Yeah. I... Well, first, I should say, I mean, SP Plus has Wake Forest by two, so really close to the line, a little bit on the North Carolina side, not a lot to to go with there, but I guess I'm going to use that as an excuse to pick North Carolina. I do. That, that defense against what we know the Wake offense can be 
just seems like this is a, that, you know, both, both of these teams seem destined for 40 something points and, and it becomes kind of a toss up situation. So I guess, you know, go with the team that's at least getting, you know, if they lose by three, they cover. So I guess that that's enough for me to take North Carolina. I, I wish I understood Wake's recent slide though. I mean, you can say it was a couple bad road games. Now they're back at home where they score 40 plus every game. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, but the but the it, 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 the turnovers obviously were were just the biggest self destruction I've seen all year uh, against Louisville and against NC State even against a good NC State defense I expected to see a little bit more from them so yeah I I, I not understanding that exactly why they started to slide like that and then getting the three and a half I'm going North Carolina and both of you guys picking North Carolina. Makes me want to pick Wake Forest badly. And <laughs> and Sam Hartman has been personally responsible for nine turnovers in the last two games. Six interceptions, three fumbles, all the fumbles against, uh, against Louisville. That seems to me, <clears throat> because as good as he's been in his career, an aberration that certainly has to stop. Well, actually, it will stop because North Carolina's defense made Virginia's offense look good. You know, and even let the Cavaliers stick around and stay in the game. So Hartman will get well, get well against the Carolina defense. They'll put up a ton of numbers. And because you guys both begrudgingly picked Carolina, I know that I should pick Wake Forest. But for the people out there listening and watching, find you a sportscaster that loves somebody and loves you the way RD loves Drake May. So, I mean, I am not quite yet to, as a young quarterback, to the level of Andrew Luck quarterback crush on him, but it, which I had from almost the second that Andrew Luck stepped on the field against Wake Forest in that first game uh, that he played for, for Stanford. This dude is legit. And, I mean, the numbers bear it out. He's right there with uh, with C.J. Stroud and touchdown passes, efficiency, 300-yard games. He's a dual threat. Uh, I mean, scares me to death that you guys begrudgingly took Carolina. I know <laughs> Wake Forest is due to play back to its normal, uh, its normal capabilities as opposed to what it has done the last two games. And I know that Carolina's defense stinks. And I know I should pick Wake Forest, but I can't do it while while ten and Carolina Blues on the other side. I'll, I'll take the I'll take the Tar Heels too. Chizik's really helped Drake May too because he just keeps giving him the ball back so fast. So it's really, <laughs> he's really accentuated that. Rise. I look forward to the segments next year when Gene's back with us with you and Gene. <laughs> <laughs> and the numbers are the numbers, man. I know, you know no doubt. You I don't need your bits of chisdom to break those down. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. at, it's been at rough. the end of the day, at the end of the day, it says a lot about Drake May that they are eight and one with that defense. Like yes. strength of schedule, all these other things. That's fine, but they're eight and one with that defense. Yeah, that's the that's the thing, Bill. That's a great point because I think it's really easy to say, well, they're eight and one against uh, the ACC, and they played Notre Dame and they got beaten up. Not that Notre Dame's great, but you know they've. They're capable, despite a couple of face plants in their own of their own right. But there, there were plenty of opportunities to lose some games, and they didn't. Other ones, I mean, other than the Notre Dame game, so they deserve credit for that. Even if the ACC is not exactly a murderer's role schedule wise, <laughs> they're 122nd in total defense. There and, are, that, and that's 
that's out of 131 teams. So that's not very good, is it? No, no. I see uh, one, two, three, four, five categories in a row, including scoring defense, where they're ranked in the hundreds. Um, and third down conversion percentage defense. So that's six. So now, here, here's something. Here's something I I like to look at when you find a stat like that. Look at all of the bad teams around them, and then try to find the outlier. <laughs> uh, you know, Oklahoma State's around them, and they've you know they were a good team that sort of turned bad the last couple of weeks. But you're talking pretty about, distinctly, by the way, like yeah. like pretty yeah. stunning that they've yeah. just fallen. Now they've had some injuries, and yeah. Yeah, but like, whew, man, that has been a heel turn. And they've I mean, done that. They they haven't played a single, looking at like opposing like SP Plus ratings here, they haven't played a single top 30 offense in SP Plus. Like Carolina has the best it? offense they've played. Carolina, yeah. Who's the best oh, offense? Boy. App State and Pitt are the two best offenses they've played. Oh, well, now we know why Wake's favored. <laughs> yep, yep, now we do. Now we do for sure. The defensive, they're down there with, you know, there are other teams. There are some teams that have had decent seasons, but they're ranked, you know, a couple spots above Vandy and Colorado, South Florida and Charlotte, you know. It's, uh, Charlotte's dead last. They're not playing a lot of defense in certain in certain parts of the state of North Carolina anyway, at least not in Charlotte and in Chapel Hill. Last game on the board. Before we get to your locks, it is the Ting and your Tang Tang game. College game day will be in Austin as TCU comes in. Texas, a seven-point favorite. Let's go Bill Reese Pete. It is funny, just the stepping back and realizing that the top four team, uh, the top four unbeaten team is a seven-point underdog to a three-loss team uh, this late in the year. It's kind of not how things are supposed to work. I did appreciate, by the way, Texas. I had to kind of stand up for the advanced stats last week. All of them love Texas. I appreciated them then backing that up uh, by uh, actually beating Kansas State and, and, and living up to projections to some degree. Um, I, 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 I get that Texas is favored, and I kind of understand why. I just think seven's too much. Um, you know, SP Plus says Texas by 4.8. Uh, I could I could live with a line between about three and three and five. That that feels like a uh, I don't know which way I'd go in that case, but seven's just a lot. And and what we've seen from Texas, they have actually won. Good for them. They're now up to I believe four and eight all, uh, under Steve Sarkeesian in one score games. They've won two of them this year, but one of them was against Iowa State, which is every bit as bad as they are. The other was uh, unfortunately against Adrian Martinez, uh, who has his own uh, close game travails. So if it's close, I do think you start to swing pretty hard in TCU's direction. Uh, and I'm going to pick TCU because of that. But Texas is, uh, I at least know why they're favored here. They're, they're still a very, very good football team. I'm going to go with TCU to an undefeated team getting a touchdown, even on the road with all the difficulties uh, high-level teams have had pulling off big road wins. Um which has been a, a theme for some of my picks today. But I look, if I'm going to get a touchdown with that offense, with a group that believes, with a group that still carries the disdain for the burnt orange uh, on the other side, which they always do, I, I'm going to take it. Now, there are so many interesting subplots in this from Pete's guy, Quentin Johnston, who was committed to go to uh, – Texas and ended up going to TCU. All of these guys, for the most part, virtually all of these guys are Gary Patterson guys, at least in terms of recruit. Patterson now a special assistant to the head coach or whatever his title is, sort of working behind the scenes and in preparation for Texas, the school that he pretty much, you know, had disdain for as one of the little guys over the years. 
now he's plotting to derail the best season TCU has had or best start they've had since he he himself was the head coach, whether you wanted 2014 or there, I think they're 9-0 and for the first time since his Rose Bowl championship season in 2010. I'm sure he still has great affinity for the players that, that he recruited, but he's a feisty, competitive guy, and I'm sure that while he always burns the midnight oil, I'm sure he has had plenty of ideas to share with the Texas defensive on-the-field staff this this week that might that might help them. And I'm sure it will be a little tougher in some respects than one might have imagined based on the way Texas has played defense up to this point. But I, I'm I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with this veteran proven group, this good offensive line, uh Kendra Miller doing things on the ground. Duggan has been terrific. Duggan is a guy who's beaten Texas before, uh largely because of his running ability in a game a few years ago when he was early in his career. Johnston, if he's if he's healthy and full go, um, which has been a, a question at times this season, motivated Barber Davis, all the guys who've made plays for them over the years. I I'm not going to give I'm not going to give away a touchdown against those guys until I actually see them not come through and and win a game in the clutch. So I'm going to give me TCU and thank you very much for the touchdown. I like the horns. I like the horns basically because there's no earthly reason they should be a touchdown favorite in this game. Um, I, you know, I think people know this podcast uh, who've been, you know, listening know that I love Bijan Robinson. I've actually said I feel like Bijan Robinson's career has been somewhat wasted um, because I feel like it'll be like when Alvin Kamara is in the NFL and people are like, wait a minute, what, why wasn't he like bigger star in college? Uh, Bijan Robinson, I feel like with a a big rabid primetime home game. This is the time when Sark just like rides him and rides him and rides him, takes a little juice out of that TCU offense. Um, I'll be very curious, Reese. I thought the crowd at Texas for the Bama game was as good as any Texas crowd I'd seen. Bit of a wine and cheese crowd. I've been there a lot of stale days. Um, I really thought it was juiced up that day. Now that was obviously Bama noon kickoff. I, it, I hope the environment is as rabid for TCU. The Texas fan base, this may shock you, is not a fan base that probably embraces being a spoiler, right? Like, they think you should sing the eyes of Texas properly and apologize when you don't. And there's a there's a high opinion of themselves that doesn't match a recent winning percentage. Um, that said, I feel like they'll be dialed in at home. The one thing that gives me concern is even when Texas has won other than the Oklahoma game this year, they really haven't won that impressively. But I just feel like this is one of those goofy lines where Coach Corso would say, somebody knows something, so I'm going to go with that somebody, and I'm going to ride Bijan here. It is good! All right, fellas, let's hear your locks, and let's start with Bill, because Bill came on crowing about how he did some research instead of just doing it right this second, so I want to hear it from him. Yeah, the research did not pay off at all. I, was, I always start by looking at, you know, which games does SB Plus disagree the most, but it's like, uh, you know, Pitt, Virginia over 41. I don't I don't trust that at all. I don't trust Minnesota uh, versus Northwestern by you know, minus 17 and a half because I don't trust Minnesota to ever really, like once they're up 17, they're fine just sitting on a lead. I don't like that one very much. The one I found that I can kind of trust the most, I think, is Notre Dame minus 17 against Navy. Um, obviously 17 is a lot, especially for a team that has looked as bad as Notre Dame has at times this year, but they, 
really seemed to like you know I was saying Baylor responded well to a pretty bad loss to West Virginia. Notre Dame has responded extremely well to that Stanford loss. They they handled their business early against UNLV and cruised, and then they've just looked good. Uh, really, first time all year, they've looked legitimately good these last couple. No, North Carolina. Sorry, they they did beat North Carolina too. But um, they they seem to have found a different altitude. Navy's been kind of a weird team. They've exceeded expectations or projections here and there, but just I don't. There's no reason to trust them a whole lot. So I think Notre Dame ends up winning this one by 20, 24, 27, something like that, and covering minus seventeen. My lock is something I really haven't done this year. There's no doubt about who's going to win the game in my lock. The doubt is the number. Ohio State is handing 40 (laughs) to Indiana at home. And I'm laying them and laughing. Indiana's defensive numbers are way down in the hundreds, pass defense, total defense. But that's not the reason. The reason is because of what happened last week. Uh, They were playing, the Buckeyes were playing in horrible weather. C.J. Stroud really couldn't get the passing game going. It made the numbers take a hit, and even on a day when Hendon Hooker's Heisman candidacy took a step back, um, Stroud wasn't able to put up those kind of numbers, and it's kind of left you with this idea of, wow, who who's going to win the Heisman? I'm not saying that that's part of the game plan, but I do think that 21 points against Northwestern is probably plenty of motivation for the Buckeyes to want to flex some muscle on Saturday. I think Ohio State lays minimum of 56 on the board and maybe more against Indiana to make a statement about, you know, their offensive prowess as they come down the stretch here. So in a rare, dangerous thing that no real gambler would ever recommend, my lock is that the Buckeyes cover 40 against Indiana. All right. I had uh I had two that I was toggling between and uh I am going to take Florida State minus six and a half at Syracuse on Saturday night. I feel like the Syracuse free fall Garrett Schrader's uh, status is unknown for that game. Uh Garrett Williams, their top corners out for the year with an ACL. And I just feel like the 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 juice has been squeezed from that Syracuse run, and you could sort of feel the momentum going away. I think Florida State is a distinctly more talented program, and I feel like you know they're going to go into the dome motivated. Uh, you know, both are six and three, and Syracuse is ranked, but it just feels a lot different for Florida State. So I'm going to take the Seminoles on a Saturday night in the dome to uh, to to roll big. I like that. Going to be another FSU. Oh, you like FSU? Yeah, I, I think I mean two straight weeks now they have um, taken on teams that were that didn't have a lot to play for and absolutely destroyed them, and suddenly Syracuse doesn't have much to play for either. Trends this time of year. There are only two times, uh, two types of teams this time of year: teams that are playing for something and teams that are playing to ruin something for someone <laughs> else. And if you've if you've lost hope uh, sometimes of doing that, it's, it's hard to find that motivation. Looking forward to like another- Wazoo Bill. That was my other one I was thinking about with Arizona Wazoo. State having nothing to play for going up there. Well, that uh, their new quarterback, Borgay, um, kind of, I mean, they still don't have anything to play for, but they, they seem to enjoy moving the ball around a little bit. Yeah. So that one no, would be kind of weird, but Wazoo's defense has been just trending straight up recently. They've been looking really, really good. So you don't so you're you're uh, you're not believing in Stanford or anything Stanford going into Utah that's a 24 point spread. 
Yeah. The only thing I'd be hesitant there is Utah is happy to win by 17. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. What in the world are they going to do to get that going at Stanford? Gracious. Mm -hmm. But they won at Notre Dame. I mean, which shows shows you that if that, if nothing else underscores the bizarre nature of this season, not that Clemson's been the juggernaut that it typically has been, but they go and get their doors blown off uh, (laughs) in a place where Marshall and Stanford, uh, you know, Marshall's not bad. They've had some issues since that game, but Marshall and Stanford went in there and won, and Clemson went in and didn't come close to winning. So the fact that Notre Dame has blown out both of the ACC, likely ACC championship participants is uh, kind of uh, kind of telling, I think, about the ACC this year. Do you think if Jim Phillips sent Notre Dame like uh, a, an ACC championship trophy, if if Clemson and Carolina do play in the championship game, that it would entice the Irish to join them as a full-fledged member? <laughs> Oh, I think uh, 2020, the way that all played out, if they didn't, if they didn't take the bait after that, uh, I don't think they're <laughs> taking that bait. Yeah, I've probably. got a better chance of being on GQ's best dressed list than the Irish to uh, <laughs> go into uh, going the old ACC. Would you be wearing your boggin on the? I'd wear a boggin. There's no doubt, man. They'd get used to them. Once winter comes, man, the winter but, hats are in. Let, let's ask. <laughs> let's ask Bill that. Uh, Bill, on Wednesday, Pete and I were talking about his uh, fondness for, as he calls them, winter hats. Um, What did you call the type of headgear that Thamel's wearing right now when you were growing up, when you were a kid? Uh, Either stocking cap or beanie. Stocking cap. Stocking cap. That's another one. Yeah, yeah, did you? I don't know if Pete said that. I told him that growing up, and I have no idea why, but uh, we called it a boggin. Mm. I've heard heard of that, yeah. Have you really? I just go, I, I just go with the straight hood generally um, for right. like the next five months instead of the hat. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Keeps, it, keeps your ears warm in Como. That's right. There you go. Gentlemen, it'll be a great weekend. Hope the picks go better uh, than they <laughs> have. At least it's fun to talk about for sure. This has been the College Game Day Podcast. Download wherever it is that you like to get your podcast.